0: Our scripture that was read previously came from Genesis, the 45th chapter, and the reading from the 4th through to the 8th verse. But I just want to lift up the 8th verse, which said, Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. We live in a time where it seems that everything that we want, we must be able to have right away. We have no patience to wait for anything. And if we can't have it our way or right away, then we either don't want it or we take it begrudgingly. No one has patience for anything anymore. I'm reminded of a story about two men who were working on a building in Italy. A priest would walk down the street every single day, and the two men would be there going at it with their chisel and their hammers, chipping stone. And one man would be cursing all day long, saying, why do I have to do this? This is such menial work, angry every single day. But the other man was there silently, steadily, chipping away. Every day the priest would pass down. He would see the one man arguing and complaining, and the other man steadily going at his work. The priest, out of curiosity, said to the man one day, how is it possible that both of you are doing the same work, but your colleague is screaming and crying and complaining, yet you seem to be so steady doing your work? He said, priest, it is very simple. You see, every day that we both come here, he's chipping stone. But for me, I'm building a cathedral. The point is about perspective, but it's also about being patient and diligent to allow and to trust the process to do what the process is designed to do in each of you. Every one of us could look at our lives in many different ways and say, why am I going through all this mundane suffering? Why am I struggling day after day? But the truth of the matter is, there's a cathedral in you that is being built by the wisdom and majesty of God. So with this as a backdrop, in the story that I've just read and in the context of celebrating black history, I want to speak about patience and endurance but not just patience in saying to wait for something, I want to look at it from the context of suffering for the sake of righteousness and the reward that it brings. And so to do this, I want to look at three very unique individuals, three very unique individuals, and to show how they have moved from the dungeons of despair into the castles of righteousness. So today my topic is quite simply, from rags to riches. From rags to riches. Let us pray. Father, we have now come to the preaching hour. Spirit of the living God, move by your might, move by your power, move by your spirit. Move, oh God, upon the preacher right now. And Lord, as I ask you, Lord, to incarnate your spirit right now into my flesh, breathe on the preacher, breathe on the message, and let them both live. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first person I want to introduce is a man by the name of Holy Shlazla. Mm -hmm. Holy Shlazla, who was born on July eighteenth, 1918, in Mvizo, South Africa. He was a member of the Thimbu royalty, and his father was chief of the city of Mvizo. He went on to become a political leader in the African National Congress, and would eventually be convicted of treason and forced to spend life in prison for his stance against apartheid, which was a system where non-white citizens were segregated from whites and did not have, or even able to enjoy, equal rights. His prison sentence brought international visibility to the anti-apartheid movement. And after much protest and international pressure, Holy Shlazla would be released after 27 years in prison. He was finally released in 1990. Once released from prison, he continued his campaign to end apartheid. And his hard work and lifelong effort paid off when all races were allowed to vote in the 1994 election, to which he won, becoming the first black president of South Africa. Nelson Mandela, as he is more commonly known, was a civil rights leader who served a good portion of his life in prison, 27 years, but eventually became a symbol for his people by becoming president. So a former prisoner of 27 years who became president went from rags to riches. Interestingly enough, the name Ruholi actually means troublemaker. Good trouble, that is. The second person is a young man named Joseph, to whom we're introduced in Genesis, the 37th chapter, and the first through the second verses. Here the text says, now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. So Joseph was a tattletale. Now, because Joseph was one of the youngest sons, his father spent more time with him, and he became very special to him, so much so that his father had a wonderful coat of many colors made for Joseph. All of Joseph's brothers saw this, and they got very jealous, and they disliked him so much so because of the preferential treatment that he was receiving from their father. And this coat did not make it any easier. They got so jealous, they couldn't even say a kind word to their younger brother. To make matters worse, Joseph, we're told in the text, he had a couple of dreams. In one dream, he said to his brothers, I saw bunches of grain out in the field where suddenly my bunch stood up while all of yours gathered around and bowed to me. The brothers looked at each other in disgust, but Joseph, being Joseph, continued. And my second dream. I saw the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to me. In other words, the sun and the moon meaning their parents and the 11 star meaning his brothers bowing down to him. The brothers, of course, would remark in more disgust, who do you think you are? Do you think you are better than all of us? Do you think that we would ever bow down to you? This made the brothers so angry. So Joseph was not only a tattletale. Joseph was arrogant and prideful. A few days later, Joseph's father asked him to check in on his brothers, because that's what Joseph did. They were in the fields quite a distance away. so, So Joseph went out to find them. While the brothers saw Joseph in the distance, they made a plan to kill him. But Reuben, the older brother, says, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into this pit. A little while later, as a group of travelers were passing by, Judah spoke up and says, let's sell him to these folks. That way we may never have to see him again. The brothers all agreed, tore off Joseph's wonderful, beautiful coat, dipped it in blood to give the impression that Joseph was killed by some wild animal. And when this was brought to Jacob, their father, the Bible tells us that he was so upset, he cried for many days, so much so that no one could comfort him. So Joseph became a slave. Now Joseph started out as a slave, but the hand of the Lord was upon him, and he found favor even in captivity. He ended up working for Potiphar, and Potiphar made him his helper, put him in charge of everything that he owned. So Joseph now had authority. But in Genesis 39 and the sixth to the ninth verses, this is what we read. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He has put me in charge of all of the things that's his. There is no one greater in his house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So Joseph was a tattletale. Joseph was arrogant and prideful. Joseph became a slave. Joseph was given authority, but Joseph had character. The problem came when Potiphar's wife lied about Joseph to her husband, and Potiphar now put Joseph in jail, but the hand of the Lord was still with Joseph. And even in jail, the warden ended up putting Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. So Joseph had authority again, even in captivity. After Joseph had been in jail for some time, Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker were both sent to prison. Y'all can read the story, y'all know it. And one night, both of them had a dream. They told their dreams to Joseph, and he told the baker that you would be killed, but the cupbearer, you were going to end up again back into Pharaoh's house. But when you get to Pharaoh's house, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to tell Pharaoh about me. I need you to tell him that I interpreted your dream. Tell him what a good person I am. Maybe he would release me. The story goes on to say that the cupbearer completely forgot about Joseph, but two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. And there was no one who could interpret Pharaoh's dreams. But the cupbearer remembered this prisoner. And he told him about Joseph. And when Pharaoh summoned Joseph into his court, Pharaoh said, can you interpret dreams? Joseph said, I can't. But only because God helps me that I'm able to do this. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. And Joseph explained that God was giving a warning that the land would experience seven years of plenty followed by seven years of lack due to a famine. Pharaoh heeded the warnings, put Joseph in charge of all the land of Egypt. So Joseph, again, was given authority. I went through all of that, and it's familiar to many of you, but for those who don't know, Joseph, like Mandela, were in the confines of prison. One becoming eventually the president of his nation. And here we see Joseph becoming the prime minister of all of Egypt. Both men went from rags to riches. But there's another man who was imprisoned and forced to suffer things that he did not do. His accusers said he was a blasphemer, even though he was trying to set his people free from an injustice called sin. This thing called sin is also a form of apartheid that seeks to enslave and block people from enjoying the bounty of God's blessings, yet they scourged and beat him. They mocked him and spat on him. They betrayed him and abused him. They embarrassed him and they belittled him. They hung him on a cross and they despised him. They pierced him and they crucified him, all because they did not understand him. So he, like Mandela, he, like Joseph, knew all too well the challenge of pain and suffering. But he endured the cross. And on the third day, he rose from the ashes of the prison of shame. And because he endured, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at that name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father jesus went from the shame of a rugged cross to being seated at the right hand of God the Father, and from thence he shall come and judge the quick and the dead. He went from a stable to the table, being despised of men and becoming king of kings. Being a man of sorrows, he became Lord of lords. In other words, Jesus went from rags to riches. Now, lest you be fooled, this sermon is not about celebrating someone's successful ascent to the place of honor by the world's standards. The truth of the matter is, it's quite the opposite. These three men achieved ideals not born out of selfish ambition. Mandela wanted an injustice to end. Joseph wanted to get out of slavery. Jesus wanted to set the captives free. Yet neither had their hearts set on being elevated to a place of prominence. They only sought to do what was purposed in their hearts to do. They were all about their father's business. So what then is the point, preacher? Brothers and sisters, let me make it plain. Your exaltation must be a byproduct of the strength of your resolve as it pertains to the fulfillment of God's purpose in your life. As a Christian, you're actually on your way to a different glory that is not man-made or of this world. There is a suffering and an affliction that once endured leads to a reality that you would not or could not even Imagine, for the scriptures tell us, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of any man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Brothers and sisters, the suffering and the affliction that leads to glory is what I call your rags. And to say that we're going from rags to riches is about suffering for righteousness' sake, But our rags, they serve three main purposes. Number one, it builds perseverance. Tribulations bring about perseverance or patient endurance. Until hardships come into our lives, especially hardships for the sake of Christ, not the hardships that you bring on for yourself because of your own disobedience, but the kind of hardship that is suffering for Christ's sake. When you bring on that kind of hardship, it produces a righteousness that allows us to see the extent and the depth of our devotion to Christ. Until times get hard, we would not be able to taste and see that the Lord is good we would be like we would be like fair weather christians the ones jesus described in the parable of the soils you know the type the ones who were sown on rocky ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy and then they have no root in themselves but they endure just for a little while they they endure for just a little while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they fall away Is that you? You love the word when you hear it. You enjoy the messages when you hear it. You even believe what the preacher is saying. But the moment something comes up that seems to be stronger than your God, you forget your God. You forget that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. You forget that he knows the plans he has for you, that he's got something bigger for you in your life. You forget that he has overcome the sins of all the world. You forget that it was by his stripes you were healed. My brothers and sisters, When tribulation comes, you need to remember that if you're suffering for the cause of Christ, there is a glory that no one has ever seen. So one great purpose of tribulation is that it brings about patient endurance and perseverance in the lives of God's people. It allows us to see the faithfulness of God in our lives and lets us know that we are truly His. The second thing that we wanna think about when we go from rags to riches is that it produces proven character. If when tribulations come, you persevere in devotion to Christ and you don't turn away or against him, then you come out of that experience with a stronger sense that you are real, that you are proven, and that you are not a hypocrite. Your fidelity and loyalty having been put to the test demonstrates that you now have a proven character. The gold standard of your faith was put in the fire and it came out refined and not consumed. That's the second effect of affliction. The proving and refining of the gold of your allegiance to Christ where your character was shaped in the crucible of your adversity and you overcame. My brothers and sisters, I'm trying to get you to understand that even though you suffer, suffer for a little while because if God is with you in the very same way that he went through suffering and was resurrected, there is a resurrection in your destiny. Finally, third and finally, the third effect, hope, comes from a sense of being tested approved, and refined. The Christian life begins with hope. That's the third and final thing, hope. Hope is produced in you whenever you have been through something and you have come through it. The Christian life begins with hope in the promises of God in the gospel, and it spirals up through affliction and more and more hope. Our hope grows when we experience the reality of our own authenticity through testing. The people who know God best are the people who suffer with Christ. The people who are most unwavering in their hope are those who have been tested most deeply. The people who look most earnestly and steadfastly and eagerly to the hope of glory are those who have had the comforts of this life stripped away through tribulations. Brothers and sisters, I am not concerned about whether or not you get a new car. I'm not concerned about whether or not you get a new house. I'm not concerned about whether or not you get a new job. I am concerned about you living a life that is authentic to the faith that you profess in Jesus Christ. So going from rags to riches is about a spiritual condition that rests on the hope of glory, that no matter what the circumstances are or what things may look like, you will endure to the end. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, and the sixth through the eleventh verse says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert like a roaring lion your adversary the devil he prowls around looking for someone to devour resist him steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and your sisters in all the world, that means all of us, we are all undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And and after, watch this, and after you have suffered for just a little while, just a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, Will, watch it, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you to him, oh Lord, be the power forever and ever. Hallelujah to the glory of God. So, so going back to our focus text, and I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. Going back to our focus text, the text says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, hallelujah, please come closer to me. And and they came closer. Joseph is a type of Christ. And, And here's the appeal that Jesus is making to each and every one of us. Please come closer to me. He said, I am your brother whom you sold into Egypt, whom you sold to everyone else. I am your brother. Now, 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 do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, because you gave me away. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, let me stick a pin right here because I also want to talk to my, my, my brothers and my sisters on the continent of Africa, even as we celebrate black history. We, we, we came to these shores, not on our own. We, 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 were, we were brought here. And some of you, even on the continent, may be feeling a sense of guilt because you even sold some of your brothers and your sisters to the merchants who brought us across the Middle Passage. But, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. We're saying, as part of the African community and the diaspora, don't, don't be angry. Don't, don't be grieved, as the scripture tell us, because you sold us here. Because, why? Because, because God sent us here before you to preserve life. The spirit of the African American is strong in this United States. God sent us here through his providence that we would be here for such a time as this. We are the culture of the United States of America. So, so we are the ones that were sold but because there's a famine that's coming. And you see, the text says, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvesting. We're going through difficult times right now, but I'm telling you, stay the course. There is something awaiting us at the end of all of this. This, Verse 7 says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance now therefore here it is now therefore it was not you who sent me here but god and he has made me a father to pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of egypt i'm not a politician And I don't want to get into politics, but I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, even as we talked about Shirley Chisholm, even as we talk about even Barack Obama, and now we have Kamala Harris in the White House. Listen, God is doing something because he's taken a people who who were nothing more than chattel slaves, who were written off as nothing, had to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, who, who they were given promise, 40 acres and a mule, but they didn't get anything and had to figure out how to navigate this place. Now they've moved from slavery into the White House. My brothers and my sisters, we're moving from rags to riches. And even as a people, even the ones who mean us harm don't understand that we go to prepare a way and a place that even they will benefit. This is the message for you today, my brothers and sisters. Do not give up hope. Do not give up hope. If the spirit of God is flowing through your veins, then my brothers and my sisters, there is a purpose for which God has for you and for me, but he has sent us as the forerunners for what he's getting ready to do in this nation. I don't know what you're hearing. I'm just giving it as I receive it. But I'm telling you, the scriptures are clear. (laughs) Jesus says, come closer to me. That's the message for every single person of African descent who may be feeling like you're stuck in your rags right now. You come closer. Because you see, we see that Joseph was forgiving of his own brothers as we are forgiving of our own brothers and sisters too. Rags to riches mean you will have a heart rooted in the hope of glory. We see that Joseph understood God's will. So so rags to riches mean you know your purpose in the hope in glory. Rags to riches means that your life in the hope of glory is specifically designed to help preserve and support God's remnant and his people in the earth for the tribulation that is here and that is yet to come. COVID, famine, pestilence, you name it, it is here and it is coming, but where are you? For your strength and ability to endure suffering for righteousness sake cannot and does not come from your efforts. All that I've shared about Mandela, Joseph, Jesus was achievable because God was with them. So here's the question, is God with you and and, and, are, are you sure? Do, do you even know? Because God is preserving a remnant that, listen, when the hailstorms and the winds and the plagues come, you need that shield of protection for yourself. Your family can't do this for you. This is all about you. So where are you? Are you still in your rags? Or are you looking towards the hope of glory in the riches of that God has for you. A famine is coming. COVID is a warning. A famine is coming. And while I cannot promise you seven good years of plenty before that famine, what I can promise you is the gift of the Holy Spirit who will be your shield and hiding place, whether the famine is three, five, seven, or even 20 years. God is faithful to his children, and he is ready to sit with you even in the midst of your suffering. Where are you? Where are you? Because I need you to join me and all the saints in faith as we move from rags to riches. May the Lord richly, richly bless you my beloved.